Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Across the Pond Sports Podcast MLB Show. I'm your host, Tyler Small, and we have a fun episode ahead of you. The trade deadline has finished, and there was a lot to discuss, a lot of names happening, one of the more busy trade deadlines in recent memory. So we are going to talk about that a whole lot more, talk about how wrong I was last week about the predictions I did make, and a whole lot more. Baseball games still happened as well, so we'll go into that and a whole lot more here on this week's episode. Don't go anywhere. Hello and thank you for joining us today. I am Tyler Small as always. I'm going solo again just because there is that much to talk about here on this week's episode. And we're going to go into it. We're going to start with the trades because I think they were a lot bigger despite there being some huge series being played, especially in the AL East in that Rays-Red Sox sweep. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But we are going to go chronologically first through some of the Bigger trades that were made at this trade deadline, and it was unbelievable. I mentioned earlier I was on vacation for it, so it was kind of tough for me to keep track with everything that was going on, but it was one to remember even just from the slight snippets that I did see. Everyone seemed to get dealt. There were so many big names, not a lot of huge prospect capital being shipped, but who knows what they will turn into anyway, and who knows who will produce where and when and how long for a lot of these teams that are buying in, we're not sure about how long, if there will be a playoff push for them to be had. But we are going to get to the teams and who was the winners, who were the losers of that. But first, let's just go over the actual paperwork that we have here in front of us of who was dealt and when. When we last left off, the last trade that was of any significance or at all was on July 22nd when Nelson Cruz and a group went to the Tampa Bay Rays, excuse me, for Joe Ryan and Drew Strotman. So we talked about that. That was a little bit out of character for the Rays. That was pretty much all the Rays would do in terms of acquiring talent. But what we saw later, the first ones out of the gate were the San Diego Padres. The Padres go to the Pittsburgh Pirates and get Adam Frazier. 
not the team I was going to go for, but Adam Frazier, just a huge name that they could have went and acquired. A sneaky, great player this season. He was an all-star alongside Brian Reynolds for Pittsburgh. They're only two representing the team. And it's easy to see why. he Before he got traded, he played in 98 games, a 324 batting average, an 836 OPS, a 128 OPS plus. And he was just as consistent as consistent can be. Played a lot of second base, so it's going to be interesting how they fit him in over there with Jake Cronenworth, the Crone Zone, who has been doing it. But he can play around a little bit, obviously. He plays a little bit of left field as well. So we're going to see how he fits in ever since getting over to San Diego. He's played in six games. He's got a 200 batting average. So still trying to figure it out, but he has done everything that they have looked for because they were just trying to piece something together. And this wound up being the start of an insane push that went for this NL West. Before we get into that, we'll just say who the Pittsburgh Pirates got in return. They got an infielder, Susipita Marciano, Jack Suzwinki. And Mitchell Miliano. I apologize if I butchered those names. I most likely did. And then the Pittsburgh Pirates weren't done this day. They also sent over Clay Holmes, a right-handed pitcher reliever, for them to the New York Yankees in return for Diego Castillo and infielder Hoy Park. Hoy June Park was just up for the Yankees beforehand in the COVID absence that they had of their stars and he unfortunately didn't pick up a hit. He just did now with a double, I believe, on Sunday to pick up his first major league hit. He's supposed to be a pretty special player. He was having a heck of a triple-A season before he got dealt in triple-A and just had a couple of games, like I mentioned, with the New York Yankees. He's hitting 327 with a one-dotter in the OPS for 97 total bases in just 48 games. So he was raking, of course. He's finally going to get a chance there, which is exciting to see. He's an infielder slash outfielder. He's got good defense, but he is known for his bat-to-ball skills. So the Yankees getting a little bit of bullpen help. He had his one of his first appearances last night in that game against the Orioles where he looked pretty sharp. So we will see how that looks. And then July 27th is the next day that we saw a couple more trades, and they were all pretty light. It started with the Pittsburgh Pirates once again. They got Carter Benz and Joaquin Tejada for Tyler Anderson to the Seattle Mariners. So the little bit more bullpen help the Pirates had. Not a well-known bullpen, obviously, for a team that is rebuilding. They're not going to have a necessary strength for just some pretty lengthy innings. A guy that can get you out there and get you through a season because everyone needs bullpen help, as we have talked about. So Tyler Anderson getting shipped over there. Another notable one that started the Cubs fire sale. Andrew Chafin, a fun-to-watch pitcher both on and off the field for the Cubs, gets sent over to the Oakland Athletics, who already had a pretty deep bullpen. In return, they get Greg Dishman and Daniel Palicia. After a lengthy season with the Cubs, Andrew Chafin comes over with a 2.06 ERA in 39 and a third innings pitched, with his whip down below 1, 0.839. He's only given up one home run on the season, nine earned runs in total on 21 hits. He's only got one game finished, so he's mostly a middle-of-the-game sort of guy. But he, as the season went on, he kept getting higher and higher leverage situations. So despite not being a closer, you don't always need your guys to be just to be able to piece those innings together because they already have a pretty solid bullpen over there in Oakland. So far this season, as we have talked about, they have Lou Trevino, who has been picking up majority of their saves. He's got 17 on the season. 
And the same way Jake Dietman also been getting a couple. He's got seven. Yusmero Petit, the only one with a handful. He's got two. So they've got a lot of names around there. Sergio Romo still doing it over there as well. Deolis Guerrera. This is another guy. So just being able to plug and play him in there will be big throughout the rest of the stretch of the season. So that was a good move for the Athletics. Not the only move that we would see, but not necessarily as big of a splash that we were expecting to see from them this entire trade deadline. But we got a lot more names to go through now. The bigger one that was pretty shocking to start the season, the Seattle Mariners did give up Kendall Graveman alongside Rafael Montero to the Houston Astros. So staying in division for it as the Seattle Mariners acquired Abraham Toro and Joe Smith. So I personally love this move for the Mariners. Obviously, this one kind of ripped out your hearts. Kendall Graveman was their star reliever that they have seen so far this season. And in return throughout this trade deadline, they actually got Diego Castillo from the Rays, which we'll talk about in a little bit, not to spoil or give anything away. But then, of course, on Sunday night in his first appearance, he gives up a walk-off winner to the Texas Rangers, a rookie who ripped it in. We'll talk about that in the recaps as well, doing a lot of previews here, but just this is a team, the Seattle Mariners, who have been playing great baseball, surpassed the 50 win total. They're still above 500. They're in the wild card hunt. And this is a team that thought that they were going to make a push this year. They're, I've been saying it time and time again. I think that the Mariners are set up for the next five to 10 years better than just about any other team in baseball. They're still very good money-wise. They have a lot of guys that are young, still in arbitration contracts. And they have still a blossoming flower, basically, in their outfield with Kyle Lewis, Jared Kelenic, just players like that that are going to be good. But to take the life out from under them, apparently this one did not go over well in the dugout. But it made them better for the future. We all know Toro now for his role in the 2019 no hitter for Justin Verlander, making a nice play over at third base. He's a young prospect that is going to be good for them and has a lot of years of control. And the Astros did not make a ton of splashes, but they don't necessarily need them because they are one of, if not the best team in the American League and in all of baseball. So being able to get Kendall Graveman, another big high leverage guy for the back end of your bullpen, Rafael Montero, another right-handed pitcher. I think it was a win-win on both sides. This is always weird to see an in-division trade, especially for two teams that could very well see themselves both in the playoffs. Houston most definitely will. We'll see what Seattle does throughout the rest of the season. Now we start getting to the fun ones. Eduardo Escobar from the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that we thought could have been selling a lot of pieces. Eduardo Escobar is a pretty solid career guy. He's only 32, even though it feels like he's been in the league forever because it has been 11 years since it debuted in 2011 with the White Sox, but he's been having a pretty standard career year season. I mean, he's a 36 homer per season sort of guy, and he's got 22 on the year so far. He can certainly get some poppy at 35 last season for his career high. So right around it, he's got a 778 OPS with the Diamondbacks, which is just above his career average. So then he goes over to the Brewers, and so similar to the Willie Adamas deal, Four games in, he's already got two dingers. He's got five RBIs. It gives him a 1.354 OPS. He's been doing it right away. He's played first and third for them. He can kind of a plug-and-play guy. Throughout an entire season, he has no problem going anywhere besides catcher and pitcher, basically. I believe he can play a decent, at best, shortstop, but still a shortstop being played. 
So this Brewers team likes to mix and match plenty. They can see him over on the left side. This is the team that I wanted to go get Frazier, but instead they get a third baseman instead. He's been raking so far, a good switch hitter for them. We'll see how that production comes together. And the return, once again, as we talked about it, not really any highly ranked prospects being dealt for anyone yet. The Diamondbacks just getting, they need quantity, as we could say, plenty of times for plenty of teams that are far away from their window of being competitive once again. They need quantity over quality and just getting plenty of prospects and the chance that some of them can hit and be a, an above replacement level guy for their team. That's really the key. And another example of that, this one was probably the biggest prospect to be moved so far before we get into the Yankee deals of July 28th. The Oakland Athletics acquire Starling Marte from the Miami Marlins in return for Jesus Lazardo. So these are two guys that we are going to talk about. We talked about Starling Marte in depth, basically, because he has had such a special season, a special season especially for him. But Jesus Lazardo is a guy that they have been looking forward to and have seen production from and already has some pretty legitimate major league experience so far for this Oakland Athletics team. Now he goes over to the Marlins this season. He has spent the majority of the season with the team. He has 14 games, 13 of them with the Athletics, through 38 innings pitched, and a 6.87 ERA. So he's still trying to figure things out. He's already seen some work with the Marlins as he got the start five innings pitched in his debut with his new team. He gave up three earned runs over the span. So this is a player that they are very excited about. The numbers really grayed out well. He had a pretty solid 2019 just through six games, of course, a 1.5 ERA in just 12 innings, so a very short sample size, but he has still been able to utilize his pitch arsenal that he has, and he's got some pretty favorable numbers when you look at the advanced analytics. Finished Rookie of the Year 8th place in the 2020 season, so we'll see what they get out of him because now it's seeing guys like Sandy Alcantara. We're going to see... The Phillies prospect Sixto Sanchez when he returns back from injury, but they know how to develop their talent in the pitching arsenal especially. It's the only thing they're doing well this season. So I'm excited to see what happens with Lazardo once he gets a little bit of coaching down there. Now, in terms of Starling Marte, he's had a phenomenal season, a career season to be exact. With Oakland, a 313 average so far since joining the team, but in Miami in 63 games, he was batting above 300 there as well. 306 average, an 859 OPS, 136 OPS plus, playing center field, which is, there's not a lot of them. There were a lot of teams that were interested in him and could tell Marte, the Marte brothers that can really hold it down, not actually brothers, I always have to preface that, that can hold down a center field with the best of them. He's a bigger presence, obviously. That's why you have the power numbers that you have, 6'1", 195. And I think it's a little undersized for him because he walks with command. But so far this season, I mean, he's had the pop. He's got seven home runs, 11 doubles, and a triple for 25 ribbies. But he's been able to get on base, and he's been able to make a force once he does. He has 22 stolen bags on the season, just being caught three times. So obviously with this, the... Oakland Athletics had Ramon Laureano playing majority of their center field, and he was supposed to be a pretty special defender, at least from what I thought. I mean, he had the unbelievable play in one of his first games out in center field where he tracked it down in the left center gap at the warning track, essentially, and threw the runner out at first that was going a little bit too far away from his home. But 
ever since then, he really hasn't had the numbers to back it up so far this season. He's 25th percentile in outs above average. His outfielder jump is just 70th percentile. So he, ever since in just a couple of games, I'll still... I'm very interested to see what happens long-term, but so far he has been moved out of right field, or excuse me, out of center field into right field, and Starley Marte, who has been much better this season, 94th percentile and outs above average, an outfielder jump of 65th percentile, but his sprint speed of 82nd percentile is a tad bit higher than the 66th percentile from Loriano. So with somebody, you can see this for just about any player, if you have a center fielder that gets moved out of that position because they aren't playing center field at a high enough level to hold it down, and they get moved to a left or right field position, they're going to play a stellar left and right field. The only thing you got to get used to is obviously the new parameters of the field itself and how to play the walls and the corners and whatnot, especially in Oakland with a ton of room just overall in the entire field. It's going to be interesting to see that and the tail that comes off the bat. But besides that, you have a lot less room to come down. You have a lot less put out opportunities and plays where the ball is hit directly to you. So it'll be interesting to see. I think they're going to have a fun outfield to watch with another guy out there like Chad Pinder or someone that can really run it down defensively. But the rest of the moves for this day came regarding the New York Yankees. They had a pretty interesting start to the day. Early on in the morning after, actually, they sent Luis Sessa and Justin Wilson, two relievers for them, to the Cincinnati Reds for a player to be named later. So simply a salary dump. They went for Justin Wilson this season. He has not had the production that they were expecting from him. Luis Sessa, on the other hand, they've had him since 2016. This is his best season he's had so far. He's finally learned to put it together. They tried him as a starter. They tried him as a one-inning reliever. They tried him as a bulk guy, a stretch guy. They have just put him through the gambit. He was a lifetime Yankee. It's kind of sad to see him go for the Yankee fans, including myself, because, again, this is the best that he's looked so far. But it was a salary dump, and now we know why. Because the biggest splash of the offseason so far, <laughs> excuse me, the biggest splash of the trade deadline so far was the New York Yankees acquiring outfielder Joey Gallo for a return of Glenn Otto, Ezekiel Duran, Josh Smith, and Trevor Haver. So, a monstrous splash. A lot of people were expecting Gallo to go to this team, a team that is desperate need of some lefty power bats to go with that short porch. I personally don't think that they needed a lefty power bat, but this acquisition and others that came later in the week would be tough to dispute, especially with how they have performed so far this season. So they get their guy, they get Joey Gallo, not a ton of prospect capital sent back to the Rangers, but another team just looking for quantity over quality. This is one of those that got a little bit interesting because in the initial reports, a lot of people were saying that Clark Schmidt was supposed to be in this deal. He hasn't pitched this season. He is their top pitching prospect in the organization that is as close to ready as can be. So... I was surprised to see him come off the board. I don't know if it was on the Yankees side or the Rangers side, whether it was his health or whether it was the Yankees still wanting to hold on to him because they still obviously want to see, but this season hasn't been unfortunately what they were looking for. But that being said, Joey Gallo, the monstrous bat, is going to the Bronx. And if you don't know Joey Gallo, he has put together a pretty solid season. He is known for his power numbers, obviously. He got to 100 home runs before he got to 100 singles. You just, even in today's 
analytically driven game, you don't necessarily see that. That is as impressive as compress- impressive can be. In 2021, obviously with that, with a lot of power and not getting a lot of those soft contact singles under your name, you're going to strike out a lot. And he has been able to do that. He has 131 on the season, just three behind the lead of Javier Baez, who has also moved this trade deadline. But his eye has gotten significantly better. After finishing with 52 on the season in 2019, he's already got 77, which leads the league, giving him a pretty solid on-base percentage despite only having a 218 batting average. So it could be a guy that sees a lot of boos when he goes to the Bronx and has a rough strikeout game. I mean, just ask Giancarlo Stanton for any advice or Gary Sanchez or the rest of the gambit. But an 854 OPS thanks to his 374 on-base percentage. You'll see him in the middle of the lineup as his 135 OPS plus jumps up. And we are expecting him to play... The corner outfields a little bit, and so far his first game that he started, he went over to right field and Aaron Judge took center because the Yankees were obviously looking for some more center field pieces. As I mentioned, they're not as easy to come about as you may think. So we'll see what they do with that, but their outfield now being Giancarlo Stan, who is finally getting off the designated hitter only list and getting to play left field like he did in his MVP season with the Marlins. He'll go in left, Judge in center, Gallo in right. That is a video game-esque lineup out there in the outfield. Now we go two days left in the trade deadline, July 29th. And this is where it really starts to heat up. It was actually bigger, I would say. Maybe not in quantity of trades, but some of the names being dealt than it was on the final day of the trade deadline, July 30th. We start off between the Washington Nationals and the Toronto Blue Jays. This was a sneaky big one, especially for the Blue Jay team and what they are trying to risk it all for, despite being in fourth place in the division, still looking for that wild card. They get Brad Hand in just a player-for-player trade. Riley Adams starts to go as the Nationals start to go on their trade deadline. So the reliever that miraculously was not re-signed, given a qualifying offer by the Indians. Any team could have had him for $5 million, which is an insane steal for a two-time All-Star in his first two real seasons in the majors. He goes to the Blue Jays, a team that, as we mentioned earlier, they go for Kirby Yates. They went for Romano, who is now having a solid season, but they had a lot of pitchers that did get banged up in the beginning of the season, and they weren't a depth of pitching staff team like this, especially in the bullpen. So getting Brad Hand a pretty steady force to play off of some of the other funkier looks that you'll get from this Toronto bullpen. It's going to be an interesting move just for a catcher, Riley Adams. It's a no risk, no guarantee sort of thing, only paying a million on his contract. The Chicago White Sox go with the Cleveland Indians for a trade while playing them in the series, which I think is always interesting. They get the leadoff second baseman for that team, Cesar Hernandez, for Connor Pilkington the left-handed pitcher in their farm system. Another player-for-player trade uh, we'll see a couple of, especially with this White Sox team. But Cesar Hernandez, not somebody that we necessarily saw thought would be being dealt. He was a longtime Philadelphia Philly. Always just a steady bat at the top of the lineup and plays a pretty decent second base as well. He was having a pretty solid season so far. A 231 batting average for a 738 OPS. Majority in that leadoff spot. And so far this season, 18 homers. He's already surpassed his season high. So it's a typical player. He's in his 31-year-old season. A contact first guy that develops power throughout his career because power is always the last attribute to be developed. 
to a pitcher or a position player usually. So he's developed a little bit of pop. That could be interesting for a very, very fun team and should fit in very nicely with a lot of these fun guys over there in Chicago for a pretty easy haul as well. Not any prospect capital really going back. A couple of true rentals being dealt so far. And then the White Sox stay active and they acquire from inner city rival right-handed pitcher Ryan Terpera for Bailey Horn, which is another player-for-player player trade, Ryan Terpera. Terpera was having a pretty solid season with the Cubbies so far in relief majority of the time. 2.91 ERA, three games finished, one save, 43 and a third innings pitched. So once again, another guy just to eat up some innings. He's another guy that keeps it in the ballpark as well. Only three home runs on the season, 14 earned runs, and an ERA plus of 140 for a 2.79 FIP. So he's been another player that has been able to get up some strikeout numbers. He's got 10.4 strikeouts per nine throughout this season before being dealt. So just another little bit of help in that bullpen, but it would not be the only help that this White Sox team acquires for their bullpen. And it was just another Bailey Horn going over to the Cubs, some pitching help going to their farm system. The LA Dodgers go with another blue team to get make some trades happen. They get Danny Duffy for a player to be named later from Kansas City. We talked about Danny Duffy a lot this season. The Twitter world especially has been a f- big fan for Danny Duffy, who has finally seemed to piece his career together with the Royals. He's been there since 2011, his 11th season with the team. Hasn't made an appearance yet for the Dodgers. Will in this big series against the Astros is going to be a fun one to watch. He's got a 3.39 FIP on the season and 61 innings pitched, but his ERA is a 2.51. He is a very typical guy, induces a lot of soft contact, only a 9.6 strikeout per nine, a 2.95 strikeout per walk on a 1.213 whip. So just a guy that they are not expecting big numbers from, but so far this season he's played a lot better than the numbers may suggest considering all the Hard contact he gives up alongside soft contact that result in a fair amount of outs, especially now with a talented Dodgers team behind him. So it'll be fun for him to go from a team that he was a part, big part, I should say, of that World Series run the Royals had. Now he's in a little bit different of a layout with this Dodgers team who just continue to acquire, 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 and be a force so far. So that was a nice addition. And then it looked like the Dodgers would be Pretty stagnant for the rest of the trade deadline, or so we thought, until the final day comes about. But we'll get to that in a moment. This was the deal that I was talking about earlier. Diego Castillo goes to the Tampa Bay, goes from the Tampa Bay Rays, my apologies, to the Seattle Mariners. So this is a replacement for Graveman. He's got three years of control, which is huge for this team, who, as we mentioned earlier, they want to make a playoff push this year. Obviously, they'll take that extra paycheck and they'll take that extra experience in a little bit longer of a season if it comes about, but they're not going to necessarily give up their future now to buy into it because there's a little to no chance that they will make a significant playoff run if they even make the playoffs at all. So Diego Castillo for Graveman, who was just going to be for the rest of this season. Obviously, it hurts for the morale of the team, but Diego Castillo has always been a guy that was well-appreciated in this raised bullpen. He was a huge part of... The bullpen last season when you didn't know what you were going to expect from Nick Anderson, who had a rough end to his 2020 season. 
he was him and Pete Fairbanks basically were the two that were really workhorses for this team and were able to piece it together with their stellar, stellar stuff. And in return, Tampa Bay just does what Tampa Bay does once again. They get right-handed pitcher JT Chargos and third baseman Austin Stenton. So two minor leaguers. Just, it's always, always scary to trade a pitcher to the Rays that is in the farm system, especially the opposite way as well. If you're the Mariners receiving a pitcher, we just mentioned he gave up a walk-off home run in his first appearance. I, that is just... As baseball as it gets, as fluky as it gets, I don't think it means anything more. Castillo is going to be good for this team. But you always got to be weary just to not be the next Chris Archer trade that sent over Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now, which are two of the steadier forces in this race team. But then at the same time, as soon as their arbitration clock runs up, they probably won't even be wearing the Tampa Bay jersey anymore. They just seem to do the business of this team Completely different because they don't like to develop superstars. They like to develop assets and they like to stay young and stay up and coming with their analytics department and getting these under the radar diamond in the rough sort of guys. So they will get a couple more even though they are in the forefront. They actually sweep the Red Sox as we mentioned earlier. We are going to get a little bit deeper into not huge recaps coming up for the weeks that had happened because I feel like this is a lot more important and we'll be here for hours if I did both. So instead... The Tampa Bay Rays take over the Red Sox in a four-game sweep, which was huge for this team. They started a game and a half back. Now they lead by a game and a half. And even though they are ahead of the AL East, expecting to make the playoffs and looking for another deep run as they were just two games shy of a World Series championship last season, they still, they still. And it just, you can't really explain it. You can't even really make a conscious mindset about it because you know that you're going to be wrong because the Rays always seem to do it better than anyone else. So it'll be interesting to see. Then some of the bigger trades come about. The New York Yankees acquired first baseman Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs, and this is when the wheels started falling off for the big three in this Cubs organization. They get Kevin Alcantara and Alexander Viciano from the Yankees, so just two players for... Rizzo, who will be a rental? We talked about Joey Gallo a little bit earlier. He has a year and a half of control where Anthony Rizzo just the rest of the season. So we'll see. And he has had an immediate impact for this Yankees team. First three games against the Miami Marlins. Home run in the first game. Home run in the second game. Third game. Game tying RBI single. And a game that they were getting no hit by Pablo Lopez throughout a couple of innings. Or excuse me, not Pablo Lopez. Sandy Alcantara. So... Just a very interesting, very interesting move. But he has been a fun fit so far. He's going to be a player that Yankees fans love. Cub fans loved him as well. If you want to get emotional, even if you didn't think you would, watching the farewell videos from the Cubs will do it to you. These are three players that really meant it all together for him, Chris Bryant and Javier Baez. But Anthony Rizzo was the heart and soul of this team. He was a lovable guy. He was a stellar bat. He's even played been a leadoff hitter so far this series for one of the three games that he's been with the Yankees so far because of that high OBP and he's going to be a fun fit there and it's just interesting to see now what will come with their first base dilemma essentially because their first baseman last year in the 2020 season led the entire MLB with homers. Luke Voigt hasn't had as much of a season as we'd like because he's had two separate injuries that have kept him off the field the majority of the season so it's going to be a big factor for three ways, just we were talking about it earlier, Stan now not being just a full-time DH anymore. They're going to let him play the outfield now, which I think he's wanted to this whole time. 
But that being said, they'll get him out there so that Luke Voigt could potentially play some DH because if you're talking defensively, it's Rizzo. And you're talking offensively right now, it's Rizzo as well, another big swinging lefty that can use that short porch as well as, if not better, than Voigt was able to by slapping it the other way. But it's still a rental. You don't know if you're going to resign him. If they do, then it's, what's the answer for Voigt? They were taking calls for Voigt. He didn't go anywhere at the end of the trade deadline. I wonder how this is going to affect his mental space, his confidence. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the future and who goes with what because it's tough to get someone. Now, it's it's explainable because obviously Luke knows as best as the rest of the team that he hasn't been there this season. It's not necessarily a shot at him and his ability, but it's his inability to be on the field so if that's the case then you can't necessarily be mad at that but if they start hearing trade or rumors of him being traded that's one thing if they start hearing rumors of him getting an extension that being Rizzo because Voight is at a cheaper point of his career it's going to be interesting but the number one factor of this trade as of today's game is the fact that Rizzo wouldn't have any of his contract go to the Yankees the Cubs are going to cover the remainder of the cost just to get a little bit more of a haul prospect-wise. And that is huge because the Yankees were still looking for a pitcher, so we'll see if they get one a little bit later in the week. But the Yankees with two of the bigger splashes so far, and then they get overshadowed by the team that used to share a city with them now over in Los Angeles, these LA Dodgers. The preseason, they're the only team to go over that cap after being one of the last teams to make a move, and they go get Trevor Bauer. Now that obviously hasn't worked as well, so they need another starting pitcher. They look for a righty. They look for somebody that can pitch at a pretty high level. They go with Max Scherzer. They get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner as almost an afterthought, a star, star shortstop for this team. Going to the Dodgers and a return for Washington is a big one. Keyboard Ruiz, right-handed pitcher Josiah Gray, outfielder Donovan Casey, right-handed pitcher Gerardo Carrillo, Donovan Casey and Josiah Gray, if you're a baseball fan or not, they're just names that you always see rumored because they're some of the few prospects that this Dodgers team has that hasn't gotten the call up like Lux has, even though now Gavin Lux is going to be taking a backseat once again. Now it's looking like as soon as Seager comes back, which is sooner rather than later, it's going to be that middle infield, which will be disgusting. They already have it figured out at first and third base with Max Muncy and Justin Turner. The outfield's going to get it done, so now it's a full Turner left side of the infield. And the Dodgers, this is their stamp. This is the NL West has been the Giants so far, but it was still the Dodgers to lose, even though they had been losing it for the beginning of the season, especially with that ugly run at the beginning. The Padres were the fun face that you wanted to see come up, but it was the Giants also still holding it down because of that strong coaching staff and that chemistry that they have within house. The Dodgers are still here to play. They are still the best team on paper. They still should be the best team off of it as well. And this is them showing that they are looking for a back-to-back ring. They are looking to take back this NL West, and it is going to be a fun finish here because it's still tight. I mean, as of today, 67-39 and 39 are the San Francisco Giants. They're three and a half games above the Dodgers, and the Padres are seven games back. So it's, it's going to be a lot of good baseball played between them because they still have a ton of games to play against one another. That is really going to figure it out. But there are some more moves that come about. But this is a move that wasn't expected. I think a lot of people were hoping that Scherzer would be dealt. I don't know if a lot of people thought that he actually would. Especially alongside Trey Turner just to make the money work out. And just to make the prospect capital a little bit bigger. 
going Washington's way. But moving along, then we have a couple more trades for the rest of the day. The San Diego Padres get involved once again. They go to Washington as well because the Padres, at the same time, they're battling on the field with this Dodgers team, but they were also battling for Max Scherzer. If the prospects didn't come about that they wanted or the Dodgers weren't able to figure out the money situation, which they obviously had no problem with, they're the only team willing to go over that tax threshold, the Padres were the next in line. The Padres were hoping to get him. They feel kind of ripped away from that. That would have made them an even more frightening force, obviously. Anyone that gets Max Scherzer and Trey Turner is one thing, but this is a pitching staff. This has been the best starting pitching in baseball, despite really not getting any production from you, Darvish. So they were hoping to turn him around and get Max Scherzer in-house as well because the Dodgers pick up him and Danny Duffy. They're pretty much piecing around the loss of Bauer as strong as you actually could. So instead, the Padres go over for Daniel Hudson, a much-needed reliever for this Padres team. And instead, they send over Mason Thompson and Jordy Barley. And then the final move of the day, the Boston Red Sox acquire Kyle Schwarber for a one-for-one trade where they give up Aldo Ramirez. Now, Kyle Schwarber, obviously, he's had a special season. He's hurt right now, and we're hoping that he'll be back soon. But they really wanted Anthony Rizzo. That's the rumors that have come out about it, and kind of vice versa. I think the Yankees were very interested in Kyle Schwarber as well if the Rizzo deal did not work out, or especially the Joey Gallo move didn't work out. So I'm not sure how much it would have been, but some people are saying that this is more of a defensive move on both sides to kind of keep both hands from doing it and it's going to hurt the Red Sox and it's going to hurt the Yankees because obviously they had Luke Voigt coming back they could have very easily have just rode with him and hoped that he would come back and be anything that he could have been but Kyle Schwarber now going over to first base for a team that really needs first place or first baseman this is a 2018 team that lost guys like Mitch Moreland and other Steven Pierce for example guys that held down first base at a pretty high level over there they haven't really been able to fill that void since then they have Bobby Dalback that is looking to do it now but he hasn't had the offensive season that they were hoping for they're going to try Kyle Schwarber potentially at first base even though he doesn't have any professional experience over there I believe just one game in the majors where he at least took a pitch or played a pitch at the position but it wasn't much more than that so it's going to be very interesting to see, but that was the second to last day, and then we have a ton of moves, so I'll just rip through them pretty quick, just for the sake of time here, because of course I like to ramble, as you all know. July 30th comes around, the first move is Jose Barrios going to the Blue Jays as the Minnesota Twins acquire shortstop slash outfielder Austin Martin, right-handed pitcher Simeon Woods Richardson. So, it's a pretty... Decently known prospects going the other way for Jose Barrios. So we'll see what comes of that. I don't know if that's a solution for this pitching staff, even though they've had some production so far. But this looks like a next-year move as well. They This is a player that Barrios could obviously put together enough of a season. He doesn't need to be an ace, obviously, behind Robbie Ray, who's had a good year, and Hinjin Ryu the same way. So just being able to fit together, eat some innings, It's an interesting move to to say the least, but it looks like it's more of a 2022 move than anything else. The Atlanta Braves go for some outfielders. They get Eddie Rosario from the Indians for Pablo Sandoval, so that's just basically nothing. They get Adam Duvall from the Miami Marlins for Alex Jackson, a catching prospect. And then later, 
They look for a couple more. They get outfielder Jorge Soler from the Kansas City Royals for Casey Kalick. And they get right-handed pitcher Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates, which was a much different move. This is one that they are pretty excited about for Bryce Wilson and Ricky DeVito. But the Braves, just in a matter of 48 hours essentially, get four separate outfielders starting caliber to try and piece together Ronald Acuna. They didn't go for any splashes, obviously, because they also have the Jock Peterson trade that they had. They just needed bodies that will be out of there next year. It's not going to affect the landscape of the season, but they've just had such a nightmarish season that they just had to get major league bodies, and none of them have really had as ex- highly expected seasons as their names may indicate. They've struggled so far this season, but they just needed bodies to be put out there because they are still in first place in this and at least They didn't want to sell any pieces. They have a large window, as large of a window as some of these teams have that could also be competitive this season so they will hope for the playoffs who knows if some Atlanta magic can be put together Atlanta is not a place known for their magic but more the lack thereof throughout a season so it's going to be interesting for this club Braves work on that the Milwaukee Brewers pick up Daniel Norris for Reese Olsen a one-for-one trade pitcher at the major league level who has had a solid season Norris for Reese Olsen a high a guy still coming about Going over to Detroit. Now, the biggest bullpen move as we talked about it. The man who only gave up two earned runs on the season being the best reliever in baseball, in my opinion. Craig Kimbrell gets moved in from the north side to the south side of Chicago. Once again, the second move that the White Sox and Cubs make together. Craig Kimbrell for second baseman Nick Madrigal and right-handed pitcher Cody Hure. So two Pretty legitimate prospects, especially Madrigal, a guy who has as good of a bat-to-ball contact skill as anyone does in baseball. They're excited to see him So throughout this season, of course. He's a pretty pretty big pos- prospect that this Cubs team can be putting together. And they give up their top closer, and this is just the start of the Cubs players coming off the board. The Nationals continue to do it as well as they give up Josh Harrison and Young Gomes to the Oakland Athletics for a little bit of depth. A move that a lot of people liked for Drew Millis, Seth Schumann, and Richard Gusich. Two pitchers and a catcher slash DH as Millis is. And then another big one, the second of the three-headed monster that came in the middle of this lineup that was part of our living rooms in that 2016 season in late October to November, Javier Baez and Trevor Williams, a little sneaky ad for outfielder Pete Crow Armstrong, a highly rated prospect for this Mets organization. Lindor, as we know, he's out for the next six weeks, I believe it is still. Might be less with an oblique injury, and that's an injury that just, you can't come back early from it. It's not an injury that you can try and play through. It's a painful one, and it is a lingering one so they're trying to make sure he comes back to full health because they have him for a while obviously we remember that massive extension he had so they'll get the rental bias who is as good if not better of a presence needed for this clubhouse i mean rizzo just a fun guy he has some high energy but he is as fun of a guy as you could be around as it seems in this dugout for the yankees so they need something to loosen them up obviously because they're such a buttoned up organization bias on the other hand he's got some gr- I flash to him. I, I don't know if great would be the right word. Flash to him. He wants to win the game badly, and he would be exactly what this Mets team need as Lindor is there as well. The two of them are going to play off of each other when they're playing together. I'm sure 
Baez move over to second, Lindor to short. That's going to be a fun duo to watch, especially if it comes during playoff time. The Philadelphia Phillies go after Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy alongside Hans Kruse for Spencer Howard. Now, this is an interesting one. The Texas Rangers really didn't make any necessarily big splashes in terms of prospects or even prospect capital. They didn't get as much as you would necessarily want for some of the higher leverage players they had. I mean, Gibson, we talked about it being the best pitcher in the American League to start the season. He should have. He honestly should have started, but Shohei, obviously the showmanship of it was a lot cooler for the game of baseball. Ian Kennedy, he closed the last game for this Philadelphia Phillies team last night. And Hans, we are going to see in the Reading Fighting Phils. Shout out my team. Just in a couple of days, of course. So it's going to be interesting. When Spencer Howard on the other end, he is a highly, highly ranked prospect. One of the top coming up through the system that hasn't really panned out so far. He has been messed up upstairs in the major leagues. But when he goes down to AAA, he still continues to shove and... He's somebody that you see a lot of promise from, but Dave Dombrowski realizes that the window is closing for this Philly team, so they have to get a move on, and if it takes them missing out on a a high-A prospect in Spencer Howard in terms of grade-wise, then they're willing to do it, and we'll see if the Rangers are able to turn him around. This is a player that can get a pretty much the rest of the season worry-free at the major league level to kind of figure stuff out, figure out the speed of the game, how to get out Major League Bats, and all the millions of other things that a starting pitcher needs to figure out at the Major League level. Then the last one, the one that we all expected to happen first, happens last. Chris Bryant goes to the San Francisco Giants. The Dodgers, just with the layout of it was and the craziness of it, the Dodgers kind of came out of nowhere and snatched. And then that just took all the headlines away from the Padres, who were the ones trying to get these bigger names they made smaller but more strategic moves, even though they were still, I mean, Adam Frazier, Daniel Hudson are no small names to any stretch of the imagination. But the Giants did nothing until they get Chris Bryant, their guy. Evan Longoria is going to be coming back at third baseman for this team, so they could always move him out to left field. Right now he's playing third base, and he is one of the three former Cubs that get moved at the deadline that homer in their debut. The first time that a trio from a team homers with a different team in their debut with their new club in MLB history. It was as special as could be unless you're a Wrigleyville fan to see Chris Bryant Homer in his home debut. They all happen on different days too, which is just a little bit more of the twist of the knife. But looking forward to see Chris Giant out there in San Fran for a pretty reasonable return. And then for the rest of the day, it was just kind of smaller moves, obviously. The Phillies got Freddie Galvis for Tyler Birch with the Baltimore Orioles, which is awesome for Freddie Galvis because he had an incentive in his contract where he got an an additional $250,000 if he got traded. He put together a strong enough season to get traded. This is a team that needs a little bit of depth in Philadelphia in the infield. So they pick up Freddie Galvis, fun for him. Michael Chavis goes to the Pirates, hopefully trying to figure something out because it just did not work with his Red Sox team in return for left-handed pitcher Austin Davis. Toronto, their final move will be Joaquim Soria, excuse me, for two players to be named later from the Arizona Diamondbacks. We talked about Richard Rodriguez for the Pittsburgh Pirates for Bryce Wilson and Ricky DeVito, alongside Jorge Soler. Jay Happ goes to the St. Louis Cardinals for John Grant and Evan Sisk. 
I don't understand this one. This is a pitcher that unfortunately happy fly ball pitcher was really messed up with the turbo balls. And even though that could have been reason for him to come back down to earth this season, sticky stuff may have bit him too. Cause he has had a very, very rough season so far, but he gets moved to the Cardinals alongside John Lester. So a couple of old lefties that they get, and they only give up Lane Thomas for that one. So some pretty decently big names for not, some immediate response for two teams that really need or excuse me the Cardinals who work with two teams trying to turn around their season that looks as good as over Hansel Robles goes to the Red Sox for Alex Sheriff from the Minnesota Twins and that was just about it all to get all that I mean 45 minutes later did not mean to go into this much depth on everyone's why I'm kind of rushing this end but it was a Fun, fun trade deadline. A lot of huge names moved and just pandemonium overall in the league. So just to quickly go over the teams that or what has happened throughout the past couple of games in terms of games being played because it was just so fun to just bounce around looking at new guys and the new threads who's playing well in their first at-bats, first pitching appearances, this, that, and the next thing. There's still some pretty meaningful games that happen. Obviously, the top team that comes from the rankings over the last 10 games we'll do 10 games since we didn't really go over last week as well it's Tampa Bay Rays seven and three over their last 10 including that four game sweep of the Red Sox that gives them first place it'll be an interesting week for them as well the Atlanta Braves playing some good ball five and five over the stretch Milwaukee six and four Colorado five and five they've played well some one of the couple of teams that have played really well since the all-star break that were not necessarily teams to worry about at all throughout the season. Toronto goes 5-5 five and five as well. Houston 7-3, and three, tied with the Royals for the other teams that go 7-3 and three over the stretch. So they played some good ball as well. Oakland going 5-5, five and five, Cincinnati 6-4, and four, Miami Marlins 4-6, and six, San Francisco Giants 6-4, and four, the LA Dodgers 4-6. and six. Baltimore Orioles go 6-4 and four over the last 10 alongside the Minnesota Twins four and six, and Arizona six and four. St. Louis five and five, Seattle five and five, L.A. six and four, alongside the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox five and five, and they lose last night as well. So a little bit of a slide for this team, as we talked about earlier. But besides that, there really wasn't any differences in the standings. Philly goes four and six. The White Sox three and seven over their span, just the second worst team, tied with the Washington Nationals. The Mets go 5-5 five and five to give a little bit of distance, so we'll look at the standings now really quick. The Rays lead the AL East, the Red Sox a game back, the Yankees 7 games back, and the Blue Jays 8. Alongside of the Central, the White Sox, despite being a little bit of a slide, they're still 8.5 games back over the Indians. That's the beauty of not having any real competition in your division. And then the Astros, they lead by 4.5 games with the Athletics. This is a team that looks like they're just going to represent the wild card once again for the American League. And the Mariners the same way, seven and a half back. The Astros keep making distance, but it'll be a big series against the Dodgers coming up. The Mets lead the Phillies now by two and a half games. The Braves by three and a half, and the Nationals by six and a half. You know the Nationals have basically tapped out entirely. They get a good return as well. The Brewers now seven and a half game lead over the Reds, and just that one looks as over as the Central does as well, but in a completely different way. This Brewers team just continues to do it all together. 64-43, and 43, a 598 winning percentage. 
They only trail the NL West for that factor, and that is because of these three behemoths. The Giants still lead by three and a half, and seven games back are the Padres, as we mentioned earlier. And then besides that, there weren't a ton of storylines to necessarily go on in baseball besides our man Joey Votto. Joey Votto becomes the eighth player in MLB history to homer in seven consecutive games. He was one shy of the MLB record that is Dale Long, Don Mattingly, and Ken Griffey Jr. had in their illustrious careers. Eight homers. He had nine homers in that seven-game stretch as he had two two-homer games. And he just continued to end father time, essentially, in those seven games as it is the streak is over. I should have prefaced this. He played on the 31st against the Mets and did not record a homer, but he did record a hit. But in that seven-game stretch, he had a 385 batting average of 1.423 slugging for a 1.908 OPS. So he was just playing out of his mind. But before that stretch, it wasn't necessarily the Joey Votto numbers that we were used to in his prime, obviously. He just got that long extension. and He's played a little under par, obviously. I mean, we were used to such a high level of him, but it's not nearly some of the stuff we've seen from Albert Pujols when he was with the Angels or Miguel Cabrera, for example, with the Tigers players like that. For the season, he had a 266 batting average heading into it. He had 12 doubles, 12 homers. 44 ribbies for a 832 OPS. So he still had a strong season, especially being hidden a little bit by those two sluggers in the outfield for the Reds, but just completely turning his season around. Now he sits with a 927 OPS. That's a pretty, pretty elite level if he just is able to hold a significant amount of his talent level throughout the rest of the season. He hasn't had that high of an OPS season since his MVP 2017, where he finished with a one dotter. And then there was not really much going on around that since then. There was the fun Tony La Russa run out to the conversation about Jose Breu getting hit. He didn't seem to take anything by it. Karen Check seemed very apologetic afterwards. I don't think that's worth much going into. And from that on, I mean, there was yesterday's game. There were some cats on the field for the Yankees. There was a praying mantis on Monday Night Baseball on Victor Robles' head. Just a lot of fun stuff in baseball, but not much to discuss over something where you can't see the picture. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on this week's episode. Just a little quick, wasn't as quick as I meant for it to be, so I apologize. But just trying to recap how crazy this trade deadline was and what we should expect to see from the players coming up. So I thank you so much for listening to me. Please continue to like and subscribe on our account but also on our social media platforms as well and i hope to see you next week so thank you very much and stay tuned we have a fun guest coming up next week so we'll let you know more about that on the socials sports social podcast network it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.